When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Offseason, or Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. Uh, we are deep, and I mean deep, into offseason content for everything except lacrosse. So who knows how this is going to go, but I'm pretty sure we'll end up still talking for an hour about things. So oh, yeah. uh, with you as always, Steve Haller. Joining me as always, Christian Guzman, Andy Pregler. What's going on, guys? It gives Andy and I the, the great opportunity to talk about what the hell are our baseball teams doing? I mean, I don't really care about the fact that we're not signing anybody because the Pirates are cheap and they always have been, but they have a 6'7 giraffe playing shortstop who golfed a home run yesterday. Uh, O'Neal Cruz is the truth. Fun fact about O'Neal Cruz, Christian, that you do not know, and most uh, baseball fans who are listening to this probably don't know who O'Neal Cruz is. Pirates' number one prospect. He's the odds-on favorite to win Rookie of the Year in the National League this year. He's named O'Neal. Uh, he's from the Dominican. And he is named O'Neal because his dad loved Paul O'Neal so much that he just named his firstborn son O'Neal. And <laughs> now we're in my wheelhouse. You're talking about Yankees from that run, you're in my wheelhouse. Yes, so O'Neal Cruz... And we've made it a whole 1 minute and 30 seconds before the Steve is old reference. <laughs> Records. <laughs> Just setting them left and right, and who said the offseason is boring? Yeah, no, O'Neill Cruz is six foot seven. He's supposed to be they tried to give him to outfield and he said, No, I want to play shortstop. So the Pirates will have a six seven shortstop named after a great Yankee outfielder. Be ready to hear that story hundred and sixty-two times this year. Because yeah. the first time he hits a home run on Sports Center, you know they're going to bring that up. Absolutely. Yeah, in the oh, yeah. the Seattle Sounders fan in me was uh, thinking he was named after O'Neill Fisher, but then I realized he was too young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I nope. think they might actually be. Uh, yeah, they're probably actually the same age. Yeah, F- Fisher might be like a year or two older, but <laughs> which we will get into the MLS hour because we got to yes. talk some Sounders there, and we'll we'll that... warn people before soccer talk happens. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, before we, we drive everybody away, <laughs> <laughs> but before you run away from our soccer talk. Join us for the college basketball talk, which uh, I kind of want to chat with you guys about something. First off, bracket is completely burned. I don't really care. I'm winning my... As as the resident New Jersey expert on this panel, I welcome you all to ask any and all questions about New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is... uh, is, We are living in St. Peter's world. This this is a fun fact. The very first college I toured in uh in college to to from high school when i was looking at colleges to attend was st peter's hmm. there you go <laughs> there so this is why this is happening now st peter's is doing the syracuse win for no goddamn reason thing mm-hmm. uh unlike syracuse people seem to love st peter's and we will get into how you can get a piece of that action later thanks to our sponsorship friends at home field apparel uh we'll get to them later but for now guys one of the things that i did want to talk about 
aside from the St. Peter's fund, um, somebody brought it up to me. I think they brought up a Sean Keeley tweet, you know, RIP, but not RIP, but RIP from the blog, Sean Keeley. That the, the this man, is the man, the myth, the baseball <laughs> card, Sean Keeley. <laughs> the man the myth the uh dude who we don't ever know what his job is but he's tweeting about zoo animals so we think that's his job sean keely uh <laughs> the ncw like this season uh keely tweeted out that this season is the season that they know the least and are the least invested into syracuse basketball and it seemed like a lot of syracuse fans were echoing those sentiments and it seems that there is a, pro- a direct correlation between syracuse's achievements and how well or how much Syracuse fans pay attention to the sport on the whole and or the NCAA tournament when it rolls around. And I just want like I wanted to start with Christian as somebody who has been born into the well not born into as in when you adopted your Syracuse fandom uh, Syracuse not making the NCAA tournament basically being a coin flip instead of a rare occurrence. Uh, how is watching a tournament with no Syracuse slash what is your level of involvement or investment in this whole thing? Um, when you consider that I submitted brackets for my bracket challenges that I was in uh, five minutes before the first game, um, that should give away how much involvement and how much I was willing to be involved in this tournament. See, now and that, I, that can go this, two ways, though. They can go you through it together at the last minute, or they could go, things are so oh, that, weird that I'm in-depth diving into this until the last minute. No, it was very Because I've done the, both of those brackets. It was very much the former, where I okay. logged into the app five minutes before it started. <laughs> oh, so you started them five minutes before you started. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got you mm-hmm. now. That, that works. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. my Loyola Chicago Elite Eight run. I was very much on the Sister Jean hype train. Wrong, and, wrong random and, Catholic school. <laughs> and yeah, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, the Ramblers forgot how to shoot. Um, but on the on the other hand, I think I would agree with that. I think um, back to Andy's original point. I think that just as a general Syracuse basketball fan, I think my interest in this year's tournament is definitely not as high as it normally was when Syracuse was in said tournament. And I don't remember too much of the 2017 NIT team, maybe because that's by choice. Um, But I don't even remember that much of that tournament either. So if that's any indication, that's probably... Again, echoing a lot of Syracuse fan sentiments, which is, yeah, uh, if Syracuse isn't in the tournament, do I care much at all? Um, I think also a a portion of that is also the severe lack of ACC teams as well as they've done the lack of ACC teams that are in the tournament this year as well. Because usually this is a seven eight yeah, best nine team big nine team uh league that can get into teams into the tournament acc only has five teams and it probably would have only been four um if virginia tech didn't win the entire uh acc tournament because wake forest wasn't uh gonna make it especially after the boston college loss in the acc tournament so i think that also has a big effect on whether syracuse fans cared enough at all about the tournament other than to laugh at UConn losing the New Mexico State. Yeah, that was uh I was with a UConn fan. 
I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I was not rooting for UConn. Um, I, I think Christian hit on an interesting point, Steve, that I kind of want to talk to wanted to ask you about, which is just this idea that um, with the ACC especially, like I know that a lot of our fans have some Big East love, and you definitely fall into that group that probably cares a little bit more about the Big East days than the ACC days. Oh, no. Okay, then I'll let you, I'll let you get I'm, into that part. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the anomaly. <laughs> Great. Because I do no, think no, that because, other- because because Steve doesn't want to see Syracuse travel to Omaha to play a conference game, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you you guys also you know at this point I'd assume you understand that I'm like the eternal pragmatist. Yes, and there is you are. no chance in hell that anything ever made sense of staying in the Big East. So waxing poetic about it to me is just like eh, whatever. Like it, it happened. <laughs> it was awesome. Like go watch go watch the thirty for thirty. Like that yeah. was some of the that that's the one of the best hours of television you'll ever watch if you're a you know uh, a besides Steve wants to see Syracuse. Fan. Besides, Steve wants to see Syracuse offensive line get trampled by five star defensive line recruits anyway. So absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, but well, the other part of that is that I do think that from the ACC's perspective that Christian brought up, it kind of sucks when the ACC's best team is Duke. Like when Virginia is, I think that there's a very different feeling towards the ACC as a not, you know, as a conference go go team mentality. No. When you, your best chance at doing well involves Duke success versus say UNC or or Virginia, especially over the last few years, or some of the other teams that like obviously props to Virginia Tech and Miami for doing what they did, but like. I don't think anybody here is sitting going like, oh, I want Duke to win because of the ACC. Like, I, I think that that echoes a lot of the old Big East days, too, where, you know, Syracuse was definitively a team that other Big East schools did not necessarily want to see win. But we felt the same way about, say, a UConn or a Georgetown or even some of the other schools based off of, you know, who was the rival at the time uh, on, on who was playing well. See, and I guess that's a weird thing because there is some nostalgia in that because... When I'm watching this, I still like viscerally want to see UConn or Georgetown or old like the old Big East teams fail. Whereas like the ACC teams, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's a bigger paycheck for Syracuse. That sounds great. Let's keep doing and this. I, and I think also there would have also been some sort of postseason interest if the women were also playing as yeah. well, because. Yeah. Even in 2017, when the men were in the NIT, the women still made a tournament. I mean, they, yep. you know, that was coming off the national, the national championship appearance against UConn, and that team was in the tournament. So there was at least some sort of postseason. Okay, let's pay attention to some sort of postseason basketball in Syracuse. Now, when you have both the men and the women who aren't playing in the NCAA tournament, then you're like, Ugh. Yeah, and then you know you couple that with uh, two relative, you know, not not cupcake, but relatively uh, low-powered lacrosse games this weekend, and it's like the most uh, vanilla Syracuse sports weekend we've had in you know a year. Yeah. So um, the the tournament though, like Virginia Tech's the only team that got bounced from the ACC. Like they only got five in, but right now. Uh, Notre Dame is hanging right there with three seed Texas Tech, and uh, I don't know Miami and Auburn just tipped, but um, you know UNC has made it a statement that they are for real after rolling Marquette <laughs> and then you know beating Baylor even without um, oh god uh, Shaggy from Shaggy from yeah. 
Uh, so, yeah, uh, knock off, knock off Larry Bird. Yeah, uh, without him after he threw that elbow. But uh, which, ooh, I did want to talk to you about that. Oh. Let's talk about the elbow. Um, I was watching with Sean Farrell. Shout out to former yeah. news magician uh, writer Sean Farrell, who had picked UNC to advance to the uh, Sweet Sixteen. That was his big like upset pick, and he's leading our bracket pool right now. Congrats, Sean. Um, so we're watching that game, and the elbow gets thrown. And so my first reaction was, in real time, I don't necessarily think that's a flagrant. I think right. that that's just arms getting tied up. It's not the Buddy Beheim situation where there's clearly an intent to injure. Or but worst then case, you start, it's a flagrant too. Like, yeah. But then you start watching that replay, and that felt a lot like the Buddy incident where right. this guy knew exactly where he was and very specifically threw a body part with the intent to cause contact. He fought through with that elbow. He knew where his body was positioned against the other guy, and he went high. And that was very much... It, it was the the same thing as the buddy incident, where you saw it. And if you saw it real time, you're like, did he hit that guy? Like He, he, he might have hit that guy. And then they show you the replay angle, and you're like, oh, yeah. And it was kind of the same thing. Like You see, you see it in real time, and you're like, Okay, yeah, his he got his elbow, you know, uh, you know, up a little higher than it should have been, and then they show the slow motion replay, and it's like you see him setting, and he's feeling out exactly where he is, and then he goes from here to there, and you're like, okay, that's a little, it's probably a little. I get where they get where they immediately pulled the red card out. Yeah, there's. Um, it did kind of feel like a. <laughs> I, VAR never works that correctly, but it did kind of feel like a VAR situation where, like, ooh, every time that they look at this, you kind of get to a position where they had to, where they had to make a call one way or the other. Um, so the if other it, big if story- it was VAR, it would be guaranteed to be the wrong call. So, are <laughs> yes, um, still very mad about the Arsenal game from this, even though Arsenal won. There were just some really <laughs> dumb refereeing decisions. Um, Topic for later in the show. Uh, for right now, I, we do want to talk about the other, uh, the other big story, St. Peter's. Uh, honestly, I just think that it's very funny that this really tiny, tiny school that Syracuse doesn't even schedule for its warm-up tour is doing this stuff. <laughs> right. Um, congrats to the champions of the MIAC doing what they do. Um, it definitely, though, feels like bullshit Syracuse run in the sense that this team is not... There's nothing about this team that makes any sense about why they could be beating these teams. They're just showing up, making the right shots, getting the right defensive stops, and sinking very clutched free throws. Yep. And it is March stupidity. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that, what is it, the, is the East region, whatever it is? Yeah, that, I think that, so. That can just burn at this point. <laughs> like, everyone can just, <laughs> you've got an eight right now. Well, I mean, the UCLA's chalk with the four seed. But um, which St. Mary's was hanging with them for a while last night, but uh, ultimately UCLA pulled away. Um, but they're they're right now they're the only chalk, and you've got Texas versus Purdue later tonight to see see what happens in that that region. But right now you can kind of burn it down without the one and the two seed. Yeah, it's definitely been it's definitely been wild. And and Christian, I think one of the most interesting things is that. Um, not to bring make everything about Syracuse, but we are a Syracuse podcast. It's becoming really apparent that man, if Syracuse had played the way that they did in the ACC, like towards the back, like in the ACC tournament with Jesse Edwards all year, 
and had, you know, a true, you know, they let Samir play more games, they would be a recipe team to pull off a bullshit run. Like, we'd, you just look at... be Michigan right now. Yes. They yeah. mm-hmm. Feels a lot like that, and I just... Although I, did, yeah, although I do want to also point out, because of St. Peter's, St. Peter's is the team that prevented Rick Pitino from joining this NCAA tournament. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so Syracuse fans have another thing to be happy about for St. Peter's. Well, dumbly enough, for some reason, some Syracuse fans still think Rick Pitino should be the successor to Jim Beheim, and that boggles Why? my mind. I see that pop up in the comments every once in a while. And I'm just like, what, what, what are you wishing on our program? Rick <laughs> like, Pitino will turn to being an assistant at Providence first before doing that. Yeah, well, done. I was going to say, based off of how this weekend has gone, he'd return to be an assistant at Providence and then get a head coaching job at Louisville or something because... No, he'd become uh, the head coach at Boston again. Yeah. Uh, Sean. For those that missed it, Sean Miller... Another former name that might have gotten thrown around in the Syracuse conversations because he's from Pitt. Actually, he was more tied to Pittsburgh than Syracuse of anything. Um, God, could you imagine if Sean Miller was at Pitt? Oh, my God. That, honestly, I was kind of worrying that they were going to go with that if they fired Capel. I know that Capel has a lot of money tied up there and they're not ready to move on from him yet. But Sean Miller is famously from Pittsburgh and famously like is tied to Pitt. But he's going back to Xavier to be head coach and the walking NCA violation is going to need to try to fight through the big East. Uh, Side note, does Syracuse want to go to Xavier to play anything? No, no, exactly. Not. <laughs> I'll continue, continue to rest my case on why Syracuse should still be in the ACC. <laughs> yes, actually. Yes. Um, but you know where they are going to go this, uh, this upcoming season, actual news that happened this week. Uh, uh, actually, it might have been last two weeks ago. I don't remember. Um, I think it was but two weeks ago because it might have been. Uh, they're coming to Barclays to play a preseason tournament, uh, and it was very funny at the time because we were talking about the field, and we were like, "The field is Syracuse, oh, St. John's, it. Temple, and Richmond. Why the hell is Richmond in there?" Uh, we we done Richmond. we done learned Pregler on why Richmond versus Syracuse is going to be a weird game. There are so <laughs> many reasons. Also, be weird. also, every, congratulations for Richmond now being the favorite to win that event. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, coming yeah. out of this season, they are the higher ranked team or the highest ranked <laughs> team. So yeah, that turn like at this point, I could almost. Sharpie in Syracuse versus Richmond first round game because yeah, that story is storylines are storylines. There's just there's so much oh to talk god, about. Could there. you imagine Joe Girard going up against Richmond's point guard? Oh my god. No. Uh <laughs> no. Oh, and uh, also for since since we had to learn Pregler in the off uh in the off pod time last week, for any of you youngins out there listening, uh, in 1991, Richmond was the first team to ever knock off a two-seed in the NCAA tournament as a 15-seed. Guess who that team was? The Syracuse Orange. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a historical rematch, if you will, uh, if that I mean, ends up being the... That has to be. There's no way they're going to not schedule that as the storyline. Did you guys see the... Just random, random off tangent Syracuse thing. This is what we did do. you guys? Did you guys see the Arkansas tweet, men's basketball tweet? I did that, not. So, um, so Arkansas men's basketball uh, tweeted out a a picture. It's like, yeah, thanks to our fans, you came and supported us during the game. And then they also tweet out, 
you too, random Syracuse fan, because there's a guy in a random Syracuse jersey just among the Arkansas people. <laughs> uh, Fayetteville? Is that where it is? Is that now a next? No, I think, I, I, well, I, th- I think it is. I think no, it is. I think, be- it was, I think it was actually, no, like at the tournament, not in Fayetteville. Like, I just ah. put it in our... I, I just put it in our chat. It's incredible. Uh, but it's like... Oh, that's great. <laughs> like, that's like classic the sea, script. The sea, like. the sea of red and then the script Syracuse jersey that's just randomly there. That's uh, glorious. I, I love, too, because like, that's also... That that has the, uh, the the flag patch on it with the Nike symbol. So either that's a really good fake or like that's, someone got their hands on an authentic jersey. Well, it looks like uh, that's a 31, so... Hmm. Uh well now now we got to figure out who was number thirty one at Syracuse and pearl what the... oh yeah so it's a pearl it's a pearl uh, oh so they went pearl number authentic yeah okay props for that <laughs> cool. we'll give you props for that want to know the connection uh random Syracuse fan who was in Arkansas crowd reach out to us we're still <laughs> <laughs> if you happen to be a listener let us know. <laughs> Yeah, we'd love to talk to you about this. Uh, but yes, Fayetteville has also... But I forgot Fayetteville already got annexed uh, thanks to one James Sutherland uh, mm, back in the yes. day. <laughs> yes, he, yes, yes, they did. <laughs> um, but speaking of 15 seeds and how awesome they are, Home Field Apparel, your one-stop shop for comfy collegiate vintage throwback clothing, now has St. Peter's gear. This is not a drill. If you go to Homefield Apparel, uh, Homefield Apparel spelled Homefield Apparel, but forget the first R. Or it's actually spelled wrong uh, on purpose. Just Google Homefield Apparel. They have a uh, huh, wonderful St. Peter's collection, which includes the shirt of the year, yes. which yes, it does. is a baby blue shirt. That says "Strut of Destiny" with their peacock vintage peacock logo. Um, it, it, it it's perfection. I have seen the eye. I have seen the face of God, and it is this T-shirt. So that is uh, that's what I have to say to Connor and his team. Thank you all for bringing this into our life. If you would like a the Strut of Destiny shirt or a Saint Peter's script shirt. Or any shirt uh, from any of the schools that are in the NCAA tournament and are saving your bracket. Uh, they have, for example, if you bet on Gonzaga, they have a vintage bulldog T-shirt that says "Defend the Kennel." I kind of want that just because that's a great that's a great phrase. Uh, go to Home Field Apparel, buy a T-shirt, buy a hoodie, buy some joggers, and then use the promo code Noons N U N E S. You get ten percent off your first order. Uh, any any price, any quantity, ten percent off with the promo code Noons. Uh, so yes, St. Peter's, you are fantastic. Yeah, I I hate when Homefield makes me love shirts from teams I hate mm-hmm. because right next to the St. Peter's thing on their website uh, and the website you're thinking of their social media that has the weird spelling. Oh yeah, uh, the the website is just homefieldapparel.com. Yay! Um, okay, but, perfect. Uh, they have this random old school vintage dunking leprechaun. Here come the <laughs> Irish shirt, and it's like that's just a cool shirt. I can't stand look Notre at, Dame, but it's a cool shirt. State, look at the Georgia State shirt. That's incredible. It's a dunking panther. And oh, it's glorious! Yeah, I maybe we should we should just have a pod in between where we just go down through and. Like, just look at review Homefield's random things. For the record, anyone who's watching, this Tulane Fear the Wave shirt is, of course, 
from home field. So, yeah. Uh, r- wow. I just saw the dunking panther. That's, yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They're just, they're, they don't miss. They're, uh, they're that SpongeBob meme. They, they don't miss. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Vita, they, Vita the god dang goat. <laughs> I, they brought Vita back. I see, and you know what my favorite thing is? That Brian Floyd, formerly of SP Nation and the Washington State blog, owns a Vita the Goat t-shirt and it nice. that just makes me happy. There is non-Syracuse people wearing Vita the Goat shirts because that shirt is so awesome. So yeah. Uh the home field apparel. We'll probably bring Connor or somebody from home field on in the offseason because we're bored. And I do want to talk to him about NIL stuff because they have now gone through an entire season with NIL on the books. They had NIL deals for players uh, at Indiana University, Connor's alma mater. And I'm just kind of interested to see from like a non-Syracuse perspective, from somebody with a national perspective on this, like what what is really the impact of NIL? What's it like working with the school? What's it like working with a player? Um, because obviously we saw Buddy Beheim really get that tour, but we haven't seen a ton of any other players at Syracuse um, get the NIL treatment. I think Sean Tucker has some stuff in the SU bookstore, but I haven't really seen anybody else um, pop up with their with their own gear. Yeah, we'll see. Oh. Uh, we'll see what happens coming into this season too, because now that yeah. it's, now that it's all in full effect, it's going to be. There might be some very different things that happen. Uh, I'm intrigued. Uh, what I will say is that um, we should talk about football a little bit because I accidentally got uh, started a controversy on Twitter dot uh, com about the Syracuse football media access. Uh, my B, my B. This was no. You burned uh, it all down on purpose. Don't don't try and couch it. <laughs> no, but I do want to kind of talk about. Uh, I do want to talk to you both about this because one, um, this the point I'm about to make, Steve. I have a, I have a very specific question for you about it, and then Christian, you're obviously there. You've been to some of the media days. You've been to the media opportunities. Just kind of curious to hear about your perspective on the whole thing. Um, but first, the context is that um, actually, Christian. You should probably explain what is it like going to a Syracuse spring practice at the moment? Like, what are what are you doing? What are you allowed to do? What specifically? What are you not allowed to do? So, actually, the thing that's good, um, which I'll give Syracuse proud for, is the thing that we're allowed to do. Well, um, usually, like especially in the summer and in the recent times, we've even cut down on the amount of media uh, amount of practice we've been able to view. Usually it's only been about ten minutes, and it's usually the first ten minutes where people yeah. are just stretching and, yeah. or stretching based on some observations. Yes, um, uh, Steve can probably attest to. Hundred percent confirm. You stand <laughs> um, in that line, you do what they say, and it may or may not be half-assed. <laughs> so, uh, the good thing is that Syracuse is giving us thirty minutes of media practice, and we come in after the stretching period. So usually it starts with um, the the last couple. Uh, they usually have been the end of a goal line drill. Um, so nice. if there, so if Syracuse fans are looking for Syracuse to improve their red zone efficiency, should they ever get there, it's looking pretty good that they're actually like trying to work on that. And then they break off in individual groups and matchups, and we get to see a good chunk of that. That's good. That's very good. I mean, Steve very happy about that last week with. Uh, with the offensive line video, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit as well. Um, the bad thing, and it's the thing that Andy uh, pointed out on Twitter, uh, it's not necessarily 
on me because I don't report this type of information, but it's the information people want to see, is that injuries that or player availability in practice cannot be reported on unless the head coach, Dino Babers, directly comments on it during an interview. And obviously, even if we ask Coach Babers about it, there's no guarantee he's actually going to answer the question. So that is one of the big things we want to see in spring practice is like, okay, who's available, who's not, who's getting reps, who's not. I saw a couple of people who are getting reps and not. I can't publicize that because of the Syracuse uh, media protocols. So that is one of the <laughs> things. That's the big thing that Syracuse is not allowing. Yeah. Which is if we would which, like to continue to be media, yes. we can, we have to stay nice and quiet on that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so I and kind I, of I, mentioned... I, quite, I quite enjoy being up on the media. <laughs> right, so, <laughs> comes in handy right, in I'm, your line of work. Mm-hmm. And, and so Stephen Bailey and Mike McAllister kind of uh, brought, you know, we're going back and forth about the specifics of the rules and whatnot. And I kind of chimed in because, you know, I, I put this out on Twitter and I haven't put the whole story out because I need to talk to the guy that this happened to and, and confirm that they're okay. But like, I have seen firsthand many, many, many very backwards things that Syracuse Athletics Department has done towards media, specifically towards media with credentials that don't necessarily have the years of experience to, you know, stand on legs and put it out in the ether and then get support from big names. Um, they, they tend to try to throw their weight around in order to get the what they want. And so uh, my first reaction was that this is what Syracuse is doing again. Uh, because I, you know, you fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, you know, all, all that stuff. Um, but then the other part of it was that I remembered listening to uh, Split Zone Duo, which is a podcast with Richard Johnson, Alex Kirshner, and Stephen Godfrey, that especially in college football, this is very common. Uh, coaches are control freaks. They are information freaks. Um, famously, the University of Washington under Chris Peterson did not allow any media access for any event unless it was by invitation of Chris Peterson himself. So it became very difficult to cover that team in any capacity. And the problem with that is that Chris Peterson had Washington as an annual BCS contender uh, and a college football playoff contender. So it become, you know, that obviously creates some issues. Um, and so what happened? I don't like, want to. It's kind of like the Texas Tech. Uh, no, not Texas. Oklahoma, the Oklahoma situation with Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams. Yes. Um, yep. How the uh, student newspaper. Uh, found out that Caleb Williams was practicing with the ones because they went into a dorm that overlooked the practice field. Exactly. And it's like, it's that kind of information that coaches are terrified to get out, um, but obviously is the stuff that drives news that feels relevant to the entire ethos of reporting and covering what a team is doing. Um, And we can get into a much larger conversation about why colleges like this and the pros are not on a later date. What I do want to focus in on is the conversation that the Split Zone duo guys had. Um, They had it on a Patreon-only episode, so I don't want to give away the whole pooch because you should, you know, if you're interested, subscribe for $5 a month, get access to all their podcasts they do behind the paywall, listen to it, yada, yada, yada. But this one involves me, so I'm going to talk about it a little bit, if only because um, when I brought Godfrey into the conversation, he asked some very pointed questions and then reached out to Syracuse. And Syracuse 
gave him a very detailed explanation about why they are doing this. Uh, so, which is very funny because they did not give us the very detailed information about why they were doing this. So the long story short is that Syracuse is trying to meet the, the asks of the media and of the fans for more information and more access. However, uh, that with that come some stipulations um, based off of, you know, the negotiation between Dino Babers and the communication staff at Syracuse. And so we have the policy that Christian outlined earlier. Now, why is that in place? Uh, Godfrey Richard Johnson really dove into this one specifically. And it's because, and Steve, this is where you come in. Uh, I want to kind of see if this is back, if this backs up this experience is that they were saying injuries are something that one, obviously everybody wants. And in today's Twitter focused bits of nuggets and news information, those are the kinds of things that reporters can tweet out, put behind a paywall story, get people to pay money to sign up for and get and get that info. Like that's a huge driver of the entire business model. The other part of it, though, for the football side, injuries are the number one thing that you can take advantage of as an opponent. And if it's out there for fans to consume, it's really foolish to not assume that opposing coaches are also paying attention to all of these pieces of information about their opponents. And thus, an injury, say, three weeks, you know, we're into fall ball, Christian is at the practice for 30 minutes, and he sees that uh, starting center is on crutches with his knee wrapped. If he puts that information out there, Syracuse's week one opponent suddenly has a very valuable piece of information. Now, it obviously varies position to position, but in general, Steve, how real is the, you know, scheming for your opponent based off of who you know is hurt or who you know is going to have to play because the starter is hurt? Yes. Um, it's, it's all about who it is and how it is and how bad it looks. Um, I don't get why they're doing it with... Uh, spring ball uh, it, whether it's just a matter of we don't want to have to change our policy for spring ball versus fall ball and that's most like knowing knowing Syracuse athletics I guarantee that's it is that they just don't want to have to enforce two different sets of something um, even though driving more access and driving more information about spring ball is something that will get people talking about Syracuse when most of these injuries won't have a damn bit of influence on what happens in the fall. Um, so in, in, in my brain, it's like publish whatever the hell you want about spring ball. It's unless it's like somebody blew their ACL out, which we're going to find out soon. Anyways, they like don't, like, it has no impact on the fall. So what's the harm in publishing stuff like that? Um, that said, uh, for your question about scheming specifically for personnel, um, it matters much more if it's, you know, Schrader went down and it's going to be Valari that's the starter versus, uh, um, and like the, the massive surprise over Morgan or whatever, um, over, you know, if you're, you know, as the offensive lineman, I'm going to say this. Uh, if your right guard goes down compared to your starting quarterback, those are two different degrees of uh, 
uh, who's out. If it's your slot receiver that's not your ace, it's not the same as, you know, uh, Kelvin Johnson getting injured in the preseason. So there's there's always a, a grain of salt to be taken with it as to how much that injury will impact anything and also the depth behind it. So uh, the short answer to your question, <laughs> which I've completely missed at this point, is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it can have an impact. Uh, the long answer includes the fact that it's not going to have an impact in spring ball. So I, I still don't get it. I don't know, Christian, if you've had any other interactions that have said something different or any rationale between why they limit it during spring ball. I haven't like dove dove deep into it. Um, I mean, like from my, because I understand why that's important. And um, like, because again, it's, it's people, what people look out for in these practices, who's on, who's on the field, who's not, because that plays a big role from my personal reporting. I'm not, like unless it's a big name like you said um like i'm not just i'm just not gonna really care about it because um that's not my place um usually because and you've seen it on the site yep. if something is if someone is missing from a practice in the past we usually take the word of Stephen bailey um who is really good at pointing out that information and that's one of his primary roles and it's a role that he's very good at yeah. and so it's a role that I'm not necessarily looking out for. So I'm a, I'm of the ilk that I'm just enjoying the extra uh, access that we're getting right. to the practice in terms of, of viewing the drills that the team's doing and viewing the, you know, the actual football action being played instead of stretching. Absolutely. <laughs> and that, that led to me getting four minutes of offensive line one-on-ones. And I was very excited. Um, If we're past the media talk, do you want to get into that? (laughs) Yeah, I just I just wanted to call that out because I do think that there's there's nuance in this. Mm -hmm. And I don't want this to come off as like we, you know, we obviously have our feelings on this, but there is a reason for this. We know that Dino is very media cagey. And, you know, Steve, you've been somebody who's been. You know, see, listen to the coach speak, realize that he's not going to give you anything like this is in line with Dino's M.O. And ultimately, um, this is the fact that Syracuse is getting this is something and it'll at least, again, allow us to get the footage that we were talking about. So, yeah, Christian and Steve, um, Christian, you've been going to a lot of these. You've seen a lot more football this year than I guess we saw all of last year outside (laughs) of game action already, um, which is great. Yeah. So, like, what what have you seen so far? And then we just throw it over to Steve to so, just dive into it. Uh, so, side note, before we get into that, Iowa State upset Wisconsin 11 over 3. Uh, yay for your brackets, or I'm sorry for your brackets. Yay, um, I had Iowa State. <laughs> okay, so um, the practices that I've gone to, I've mainly just focused on the offense because I've been really, I've been trying to follow this um, about because that's the biggest story of the offseason is how the offense and how the offense interacts with the new coaching changes of Ana and back into the into the offense because that's that's the blockbuster move of the Syracuse offseason right and um those those two are very 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 involved and I really I really like the involvement they have with not just the with not just their position groups but with the entire offense in general. 
Um, and I talked with a uh, Schrader and Tucker after a practice. Um, and, and they both said, you know, they, they're very happy and, and very happy to adjust and work with them to their offensive demands, which is, I think, a very, very good sign. It feels like they're, it feels like everyone on the offense is comfortable with how those guys are coaching, which is very, very good because you kind of needed that feel good from the offense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it could use, could always use a little bit of a pick me up, mm -hmm. especially after and a so, major shift like that. And after, you know, looking at that for a while, I remember that Steve likes offensive line. So I gave Steve some offensive line video, video to look at. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I, like, it, so it was it was about four minutes of uh, offensive line footage, and the the cliff notes of it, uh, the the basically the guys we thought were going to be good were continuing to be good. Matthew Bergeron is very good at football. Um, he's very good at pe keeping fat people from getting to skinnier people. <laughs> um, uh, I, I was actually impressed with Caleb Okachukwu and how he um, he and Carlos Vettorello kind of went back and forth a couple of times. Yeah. Um, so, that, so, to give con so to give context, the crux, the main meat of the video that I sent Steve was one-on-ones between the starting offensive line and the defensive line units. Yep. Um, not necessarily the ones of the defensive line, but some defensive linemen. Yeah, it was kind of a mix of, like, uh, I think Kevin Darton... Um, was working in there, Tisdale, like some other guys. Um, actually, I think Darton and Tisdale ended up going against each other. But they, um, they there was a, a nice mix of seeing people. It, it's different without pads. Uh, the defense is definitely going to have an advantage without the pads um, just because you don't have things you can grab. And no matter what anyone thinks, I don't care who you are, if you watch football, there is holding on every play. It's just a matter of how egregious the holding is and how they hold because without holding on every play, the defense would literally win every single time. There's no two ways about this. Um, but in general, it was good to see some of these guys get back at it. Um, you see Mike Schmidt being the most offensive line coach that you could possibly <laughs> offensive line coach. Um, it was it was the, great to the, see. The I was just like I, the stuff that I said to you at the beginning. That was oh, that was that perfect. Is, <laughs> some of the best things I guys. Oh seen. yeah, yep. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Kalen uh, Ellis uh, looked solid. He, I think, he was going against Steve Linton. Who? Correct me if I'm wrong. Did Steve Linton lose weight? He looked. He looked skinnier. He looks um, like a beanpole, but one, one, one. He looks skinnier. Two. He was also running with the defensive line. Right. So confirmed that he is, you know, very much the edge rushing linebacker that we expect him to be. Yep. And he uh, also was going against Kalen Ellis, so he looks even smaller because Kalen Ellis is not a small human being. Uh, so <laughs> the combination of all of those things might have led to that. But in general, it was good to see. Good to see the offensive line and good to see the defensive line actually getting at it and looking, I, I don't want to say better than I expected them to, but better than I expected them to. Uh, there was there was some decent looks and not from the fact that the O-line was not doing what they were supposed to, but that uh, there was some promising hand use, there was some promising technique from the D-line that looked like Chris Akif, Akif, Achif. 
I don't know, what do we want to go with? Um, something? Yeah. Uh, the guy who took over the defensive line that used to be the linebacker's coach uh, has some things to work with. So uh, I, from a position of worry, and if you read my uh, D-line preview this week, uh, you you would see that I definitively thought it was a place to worry. Um, it's it, it, Things may be turning up a bit more Millhouse than we expected, so we'll see we'll see where that develops as the spring goes on and as the transfer portal continues. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more movement on a lot of teams coming out of spring practice. So uh, there's still a little time to grab people before the season. You know, D linemen at their current team don't see themselves playing more. You know, maybe you look and transfer to a place like Syracuse where there's potential for spots. So we'll see if they can fill out that unit a little more and hopefully. Hopefully both sides of the trenches end up working out pretty well this year. Oh yeah, I I think <laughs> I have high hopes for Syracuse offensive line, if only because Ellis especially. If you ha- like we saw what happened when Syracuse had a guy like Coda Martin who just kind of anchors like when you have one big body who's really, really, really good and can anchor that line. And nobody, everybody else doesn't have to be spectacular. You just need, you know, like Steve, you've talked about it all the time. Like the offensive line is a five-person unit mm-hmm. that only does as well as they're willing to work together as a, as a unit. And so it becomes a situation where obviously having one supremely talented person doesn't mean that it's going to make things good. We've seen that happen. But it does help a lot because it allows for the line as a unit to work in specific ways. And I, I think we can kind of – we'll need to see more, like, actual action to, uh, once this line is together a bit more to see how that kind of plays out in real time. But I am – I think that's probably one of the mo- things I'm most interested in is seeing, like, how this line works as a unit and how big of a role Ellis has. Because it really is starting to feel like, you know, Syracuse hasn't had an offensive line uh, alignment, like, drafted – since Pew, we've had a yeah. bunch of unsigned free agents like hang on, but Pew, you know, was the and, last guy actually taken in a, in a draft position. And I was actually surprised, you know, not surprised, but pleasantly surprised that Bergeron came back instead of testing those waters. Mm-hmm. Um, he he has a real chance this year to work himself into a spot. Um, for anyone who is looking for more coverage of uh, – not necessarily just the offensive line, but the team as a whole, especially once they get into pads. Uh, wait no further than two weeks from now when uh, Christian and I will both be attending the spring game. So we'll have a full recap two days after the spring game as to what in the hell happened. So that that should be an interesting uh, oh, actually yeah. getting some eyes on some live um, quote-unquote game type mm-hmm. uh, footage. So... We'll see. We'll see what comes out of that more than more than anything at this point. And for the fans who can't attend the spring game again, it's going to be on the ACC network for the first time in forever. Oh, hi, Andy. You can watch it on Yay! the ACC network. <laughs> very excited about that. Um, legitimately very excited. So on that note, uh, we are re- reaching the end of our show, and we want to just say to everybody who's listening. If you don't like soccer, don't listen for the next five minutes. <laughs> Fair enough. This is, officially, you... this is officially your soccer warning for all those. Alert, alert, alert. We're going to talk about the sport you kick a ball around with. Yep. So um, 
I, well, first off, um, um, like I said in the like I said in the uh, pre-talk of our show uh, to everyone on the U.S. men's national teams, stop injuring yourselves. Very yes. much so. Um, um, for those Syracuse people that are not on the men's national teams, uh, continue continue playing relatively decent because uh, Bono has had a pretty decent run in net for Toronto at this point. Um, and I know DeAndre Kerr has still been still been featured on the bench of every one of these matches. So uh, there's some there's some cues in the pros that have been been doing some you know fun things and actually out there making a name for themselves. Yeah, they the MLS um, season is going to go into the international break. Um, but you know we kind of if you listen to our uh, MLS preview a few weeks ago. You know that there are plenty of Syracuse players doing uh, really solid things this year. Um, they've continued to do so, and again, um, things seem to be looking back, looking up. Uh, what I wanted to call out was our boy Miles Robinson had a birthday. I think it was this week. Um, if I if my Instagram memory is is serving me well, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's always the that's always the tricky part. Uh, but Miles did Miles. I think he got a call up, right? Um, for oh this yeah, final... he's a lock for. Of course, he's, yeah, a, lock he's a lock for lock. this yeah. this window. He went yeah. 90, 90 this weekend for uh, um, Atlanta, Atlanta in the the wonderful weird ass three three match against his buddy Kamal. So <laughs> uh, the the two of them went hammer and tongues, not not at each other, but on the same pitch as each other. Uh, yeah, in a nice three three uh, three three draw. So. That that was another another interesting uh, mo mo started for Inter Miami, like there's there's a lot of a lot of orange around the league right now. Ryan Raposo is still doing his let's get off the bench in the last five minutes. Right, and come in and come in in eighty five minutes and sprint. And run at people. <laughs> yeah. Hey, whatever works, man. Yeah, he's Raposo. actually he'll be playing tonight at ten. Yeah, LAFC. Yeah. So yep. Last uh, late 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 game of the day. Um, and then if you're looking for Syracuse action this week, there's a uh, USA Mexico in Mexico city. I have to imagine that miles is getting the start in that one for a game yeah. that the U S does not want to drop points in. I imagine um, he'll also be starting on the right side to offset, yes. offset the current loss of our starting right back. Yep. So it'll be miles, miles and Zimmerman in that pairing likely. Um, I mean, Aaron Long's the only other experienced center back that got called in. Uh, probably, Red Bulls. let's go. <laughs> probably Reggie Cannon on the right, I'd assume, yeah. because they're not going to want like if if they wanted to go forward and replace that aspect of Serginio Dest who got injured on the weekend, uh, it'd probably be um, probably be DeAndre getting the start. But if they're looking to shore it up in the Azteca, you know, start Cannon and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, I just, I keep forgetting. Um, somebody brought this up to me this week. It's like, oh yeah, the U.S. is a lock for World Cup qualifying. They just need to get Portland. And I, yep, yeah, it's that face. So, Miles, come on, buddy. Please do the thing. Please, I can't, I've already been hurt once. I can't do it again. Shout out to John Dre Yedlin also forgetting that he has 71 caps for the U.S. Absolutely! Wow. To think, to, to think that I saw the guy running around when he was like yay tall, but yeah, and it's, it's still yay tall. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's it's crazy to crazy to think that we still have this controversy over whether or not the U.S. will qualify. They need 
to be a lock, they need four points. Uh, depend- four points with, in three with, games. And that's with no other results. So if Costa Rica or Panama drops points, then the the numbers change. But that's the that's the lock into playoff spots. Yeah. So it's gonna be uh it, pay attention this week. Watch Miles hopefully have the game of his career this uh I think that it's the twenty fourth, so that's Thursday night. Thursday night. Yeah, ten PM for all you West Coast Oranges. It's good for you, uh, as the USA takes on uh mexico in mexico and then there's a game on the 27th and a game on the 31st i think that they're 30th. all in march 30th. 30th oh i hate the international tight turnaround windows well his legs are going to be dead after those three games <laughs> absolutely but uh that's all i have when it comes to syracuse things of this week uh, I want to thank everybody for taking the time to watch this live. If you did on Twitch, if you're listening on your preferred podcast listening device of choice, thank you again. And if you're doing either one on the website, thanks so much for reading newsmagician.com. Uh, if you're watching on Twitch, I actually have Twitch up this time, so I know how this thing whole thing works. Uh, make sure that you you know uh, follow the News Magician uh, Twitch channel, so that way you can get notified every time we go live. Um, you know, we're going to do this every Sunday night for podcasts, and then we might have other surprise shows coming in. So you never know. You don't want to miss out on those. Mm-hmm. Listening on podcasts, give us five stars, rate us, review us. Uh, helps the algorithm expand the Ottoman Empire. And if you're on newsmagician.com, thank you for reading the site. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we will, as always, have lots of fun content thanks to the wonderful staff that we have currently churning stuff out. So, gentlemen, that's oh, all wait, I got. No, hold on. We do have to uh, call out the return of the other legend. John Casillo has officially commented on his first post since retiring. And guess what it was? Football scheduling. Scheduling. So welcome back to John. And also (laughs) stay the hell away for your own sanity. So yeah. I'll give give the quick, quick rundown of... Uh, orange news we we uh, didn't get to. Oh, um, so uh, Jared Ian won uh, bronze at World Indoor Championships for 60 meter hurdles. Congratulations, because we are a track and field block now because Kevin's running it. Yes, um, understandable. <laughs> Syracuse men's lacrosse won one against uh, one against Stony Brook. Yay! Good luck the rest of the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> women's lacrosse lost over the weekend to lost over the week to Florida. Not great. Made up for that by dismantling and destroying Virginia Tech. Yay. Um, the uh, Syracuse softball won seven in a row, seventeen to nine. The Syracuse softball team. Very cool. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much the roundup. Sweet. Cool. I like it. Uh, thank you, Christian. That might just have to be a recurring thing. We'll have yeah. to. We'll, uh, Christian, Hutch, yeah. Christian checks Andy on all the shit that he forgot. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but on that note, thank you all for listening to the News Magician uh, podcast. We really do appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Uh, same place, same time. Go Orange. Go Orange. Go Orange. Dun, 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 dun.